This podcast is part of the Red 5 Network. For more Red 5 Network podcasts, visit red5network.com. Hey guys, this is Liv. And Dave. And And you're you're listening listening to Conversations. Conversations. Wait, what did you say? Conversations. It's Conversations. That's what I said. Conversation. Wait, why are you saying it like that? I'm not saying it like anything. I'm saying conversation. What are you saying? Conversations. We're saying the same thing. Say conver. Conver. Now say stations. Stations. Now say conversations. Conversations. Okay, let's try this one more time. Mm-hmm. Hey guys, this is Liv. And Dave. And we're Pizza and Parsecs. And, and you're, you're listening, listening to conversations. conversations. I think you're saying it wrong. I'm pretty sure I'm saying the same thing you're saying. I am 99% sure you're wrong. I'm 99% sure we're saying the same thing. And you guys are listening to conversations. It's a translation to a Star Wars nation. It's a celebration. Hello, and welcome to Conversations. I'm Charles. And I'm Ralph Macchio. (laughs) And this is... No, it's not the Ralph Macchio episode. You got the first part right. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. Okay. Well, let's let's uh let's take it from the top. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Conversations. He's Charles and I'm Pat and this is episode 60 from the imagination of George Lucas to the influence of Coppola, the suggestions of Spielberg and the assistance of Kurtz. A concept was born, but it didn't take life until it was realized by the artistry of Ralph McQuarrie. I just love the way you just skipped over the redo. <laughs> oh I mean, God. do they really care? No, it's just me. <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I did research for Ralph Macchio. Okay. Because you said we're going to do the Ralph M episode. Right. <laughs> and, I mean, sorry. Yes. Yeah, yeah. It's completely I'm like, my fault. I don't fault. know what the Karate Kid has to do with Star Wars, but I'm on board. <laughs> we were um, discussing potential topics. Yeah. Uh, one of us had a brilliant idea to um, talk about the Ralph McQuarrie concept art. And yes. how vital it is, not only, you know, in the time when he you know, sketched it, drew it, painted it back in the 70s and, you know, um, 80s. But, you know, it carries through to today and some of the some of the newer stuff that they're that Star Wars is putting out. There's yes. a heavy influence from Macquarie in that, too. So um, it's it's just a very interesting look at the things that we know and, and memorize what they look like. And um to kind of see where they started from and, and, and the inspirations drawn from that in other projects is really very cool. Oh, it totally is. And you introduced me to Macquarie before I realized his influence. I mean, proportionally, Did I? Yeah, proportionally speaking, yes. From okay. when I first enjoyed Star Wars, I saw the movies and all that kind of stuff. But I was never, 
you know, like we talked about before, I wasn't re- a reader of the books or any of the peripheral information. Or like that was big out behind there. the scenes type of stuff. Right. Exactly. You right. know, okay. the first, the most distinctive behind the scenes show that I remember seeing. I distinctly remember this on PBS. Was the, it the Muppets with Luke Skywalker? No. Well, I saw okay. that. Yes. But we're not, that's okay. not behind right. the scenes. That's, that's okay. you know, that's Luke on the Muppets. Um, <laughs> on PBS, yes. Mountain Lake Broadcasting, where we picked up from Montreal. Um, up in uh, Vermont was the making of Indiana Jones. Ah, now okay. there's also of course a connection like Raiders, Ma- Raiders, like yeah, Raiders. Raiders. Okay. And the, okay. of course a Macquarie connection there. That was the first ever experience I've had with behind the scenes beyond that. Um, I was never like, like with any film or movie. Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. It just wasn't in my wheelhouse. You know, like we talked with, it. you know, Brandon at uh, talking Bay 94. That was his passion, right? But for me, it was if I saw it, I saw it. And Ralph McQuarrie and his drawings never really hit my radar until much later in the in my enjoyment of the franchise. And I remember in our infancy of when we first started talking about those things, especially as Rebels came online. I remember you bringing them up as literally saying, you know, oh, it's so cool how, you know, Vader looks in Rebels is like ralph mcquarrie-esque and it's like oh, i i recognize the name i i understand that part but i never you know looked at it distinctively and looked at it, it's like oh wow look at the influence of all these drawings and right. um so the familiarity with his name was definitely there but his influence and just how uh, literal some of the translations of his drawings went from canvas to screen are eerie just absolutely amazing like you said whether it's from a new hope or into uh, Empire Strikes Back or Rebels, like we just talked about, or Mandalorian or Force Awakens. It just goes so many uh, eras beyond where he started back in like 1975. It's really very interesting to see um, how how characters evolve. Uh, like George is always an idea man. And he's like, yeah, I want to kind of flesh this out. And then, and then from... From what I've read and and watched, you know, Ralph would sketch it out, and then and then George would kind of tweak it, you know, want a little more of this, a little less of that, kind of change this up a little bit, and um, you know, sometimes it would take almost no tweaking at all, mm. and then other times it would it would almost be unrecognizable from where Ralph started, but then that design that he started with gets recycled into something else, yeah, yeah. down the road, which. Which is really, I mean, it's 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 a great thing for inspiration, but it's also a, a really cool homage to you know really where all of this started because you know George had this idea, but he didn't, he wasn't sure anybody would go for it. So <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, which I mean, really, no one did really. Um, you know, a lot of the studios thought he was crazy and were like, they we're not. This is this doesn't even make sense. Mm. You're you're pitching a, a, a project that doesn't even make sense to any of us, you know. And I think in a in a way he didn't knew that he knew he had trouble with like dialogue and and scene construction and also I'm sure all that those early treatments were tough to get through by studio execs. So he was smart enough to know that a picture's worth a thousand words, and I can explain what's in my head all day long. But if I can show you, you know, some designs of, of 
how I want this to look and how it's you're going to be spacey and and futuristic, but still, you know, identifiable and almost homely in a lot of ways, then that's a whole new thing you're seeing. You can imagine what I'm telling you in your head, but until you see it, you can't really see how unique it is. Mm -hmm. That's what he attributes to Fox okaying the film is Macquarie's artwork. Totally. You know, he understood what, from the treatment that he was reading and the samples that, uh, you know, George Lucas had bought from uh, uh, John Berkey, who was a science fiction artist. He had those as sort of not reference pieces, but at least directional inspiration for Ralph. And, you know, Ralph coming from his history of commercial art and technical art from, you know, like all the way from, you know, drawing teeth to like jetliners and stuff like that. He was able to take that art and give it a grounding, give it a, uh, a space, an environment and build out this level of world building that um, literally, like you said, allowed Lucas to sell the concept of the script to Fox and George like literally says that he without these drawings it never would have flown yeah and it's you know it's interesting because you've got such practical drawings in his repertoire like you said of the teeth for the for the dentist like advertisements yeah stuff. yeah and the uh you know Boeing he, he he did Boeing uh schematics for um for the construction of the 747s. Yep. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that stuff is all like everyone knows you're just drawing it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So so to go from that to then um then a project like this that's, you know, got a familiarity, but it's it's in a different galaxy. It's got like weird creatures and crazy landscapes and stuff. Um, it just kind of showed his uh his versatility as an artist. Yeah. And taking those real world pieces that he has the grounding in and then building around them, that gives that, that lived in feeling to it. And, you know, he's credited with launching as an art style that lived in futuristic science fiction Mm -hmm. world that here you have these structures that look, you know, quasi realistic to current, uh, styles and applications, but now we're throwing this into a futuristic um, storyline that is built on technology that none of us have any idea about, yet it still feels that it's relatively within reach. And that's the brilliance of his his style. Yeah, and that's kind of what I know we've talked about on the show before is the lived-in feel of Star Wars. You've got all of the the space movies and everything prior to that in the, in the fifties and all were also sterile, so clean and, and yeah. so like polished. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there are certainly places like that. Naboo, for example, is a prime example of that with the palace on Yeah, Thieves. that's true. But for the most part, nothing's like that in Star Wars, which, you know, is novel to the futuristic movies of the time. And for him to be able to convey that prior to any of that um, was really a testament to his storytelling. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, virtually everyone that, that speaks of Ralph's work 
you know, he's a, he's an artist, but first and foremost, he's a storyteller. He can tell stories with his drawings, his sketches, and his paintings. Mm-hmm. You look at like 2001 Space Odyssey, for example, where you have that very uh, clean surface, uh, very um, uh, antiseptic look to everything about it. And yeah. it set the standard at that time for science fiction sort of Isaac Asimov slash uh, futuristic approach to it. And you, then you got Star Wars bringing it down to the, you know, the carbon scoring you know, and the dirt marks and all that that lived in world that really set it itself apart. If you're fighting in the trenches, you're not going to have the cleanest look of everything. You're, you're reusing and recycling everything you can to keep the fight going. One of the most interesting things that I've noticed about the effect that Macquarie had on the, the franchise, because we've established that you know, if it wasn't for him, the franchise probably wouldn't have happened. <laughs> um, but Anthony Daniels was approached for a robot butler part, and um, he was like, oh, I, don't, I don't know if I want to do that. <laughs> um, and then... And then he saw the the concept art for C-3PO and he was like, yeah, I can totally get on that. So, um, you know, that was really a cool thing to to find out because he, he, had, he had initially intended to turn it down because who wants to be a robot butler? No one. No, no one. one does. <laughs> um, but who wants to be, uh, you know, a, a part of, you know, uh, something that Macquarie is, is working on that, that Lucas is sure to turn into a... Uh, you know, global phenomenon at some point, Anthony Daniels. Right. So, uh, yeah. And and then, of course, you know, he's the tie that binds. He's been in all of the Star Wars films. Right. And that's in, in some capacity, yeah. which yeah. is which is pretty incredible. It is. I mean, he's 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 played C-3PO in, in 10 of the films. Right. But he's he's been in all 11 of them. Yes. That's fantastic. So that's, yeah. So, I mean, you know, without his involvement, I mean, it would be, I don't know that another actor would have necessarily stayed on like in Solo. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, even if C-3PO was in the other 10, I don't know that that, that he would have signed on for Solo as well. Right. But, you know, it's just one, uh, another interesting thing that, that I've, um, that I've learned from that. Yeah. And then of course, in addition to Star Wars, he did, um, like some some concept art for the original Battlestar Galactica. Yes. Mm-hmm. And E.T. and Cocoon. Mm-hmm. So he's got like a, a relatively diverse palette in yeah. some of his uh, his different concepts. Yeah. And he like obviously like with Star Wars that set him put him on the radar, certainly for that and gave him that uh, that uh, weight to what he could do. And knowing the impact that his drawings had on such a successful movie i'm not even the franchise at that point just a movie you know like you said with battlestar galactic even with star trek and um and indiana jones a little bit later on they saw that the concept art as a even as a as a job was a brand new burgeoning career that's like oh you can you can get someone who can provide a visionary forecast into what this this movie could be it helps you sell the movie before you even get there. And it's funny how you brought up the droids because the droids that, and I'm sure everyone can picture it, that painting of C-3PO and, you know, almost like um, a chopper-esque looking R2 in the background yeah. was 
literally the first painting that he did, uh, you know, January of 75 uh, as one of the first, uh, as the first concept painting that he did for um, Lucas. And that's where it all started. Let's take a quick listen to an interview that actually Ralph McQuarrie did uh, based on um, where he started with Lucasfilm and George Lucas and the paintings. George talked about Star Wars and he, he didn't have a title yet, but the concept for a film that was going to be a big galactic war. Then when he started to talk to Fox, uh, it seemed to him a good idea to have some illustrations to show the, the scope of the visuals that he planned, which I think in George's mind was a big part of the movie. And I told him that I'd love to do it. He and Gary came over one day with the script. I started on it the same day. I, I really got into it right away, working on those original uh, paintings that were really done to sell the film. George and Gary went off, uh, left me doing more paintings. Fox wanted me to do more paintings. Gary and George went to England and started scouting this whole thing from a budget point of view. Came back uh, three or four weeks later saying, it looks like they're going to do this film. I never really thought it would be a film while I was working on those original paintings. I, it seemed so vast a project to me. There was quite a few things set up by George, and I felt I was drawing what he wanted things to look like. I don't think that either of us thought that's the way the movie was going to look, necessarily. These were just sketches that were the best we could do in terms of how we felt it should look, but not necessarily the end product in the sense that this was really going to be it. But it sort of turned out to be it in the end, for the most part. Some of those paintings were virtually rendered intact on, onto the screen in Star Wars for certain scenes. So I feel like the number one takeaway from that is how Ralph McQuarrie sounds like a less eccentric Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> you picture making these paintings in a leather coat? <laughs> yes, yes. And then, of course, he's... Um, He's going to to um, embellish in, in certain certain aspects and and more troopers over here and uh, and um, you know as they're doing this speeder bike chase and he's painting them they must go faster must go faster. Are you familiar with the theory of a uh, um, a chaos painting? Chaos painter, not a mathema painter. Oh my gosh! So. I would, I would hope not to get on a tangent. <laughs> I would hope uh, anyone listening has access to Disney Plus, um, just just for all the Star Wars content and the Marvel content and the classic Disney content, and most importantly, the world according to Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> it's a, it's a gift, really. It's, I don't even care what he's talking about. <laughs> Or who he's talking to, just as as long as I can uh, see him in his quirkiness and and his uh, just his sort of unique style that that he that he possesses. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> so um, there's a lot of inspiration taken from you know like Space Odyssey and things like that for the, the for the robot aspect, but then you know you take this sort of like taller, slender robot butler. Mm -hmm. And then you pair him up with this 
cranky old crotchety looking garbage heap <laughs> topper. And um, and then you refine that because, uh, you know, George doesn't want R2 looking like a curmudgeon. So then, you know, you, you polish that one up and, and, you know, make him sparkle and he turns into R2. Uh, but then, like you were saying before, you've got these early designs that, that Dave Filoni and his crew, um, when it comes to Rebels, were just like, that's early R2, but different enough from R2 that we can tweak that and, and get those like head arm attachments and, and just kind of uh, animate that in a way that you, you can't with a regular astromech. Yeah. An astromech can't throw its arms up like, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> but Chopper can. can. <laughs> totally. Yeah, so it's it's one of those things where you know by taking these design elements from scrap concept, you can take the you know the same old truck. Because how many R two units are how many Astromech units are in the the first six films? Several. Several. The answer is yeah. several. Yes. Okay. And how many of them are remotely like Chopper? <laughs> none. None. There are none at of them all. like Chopper. There are none. And that's part of the brilliance is you can you can convey that personality and that attitude that destroyed has with those design elements mm -hmm. when the rebels team was like we need a droid that's kind of a jerk all right here we go and like <laughs> and then they're all set because because how much how many times do we mimic chopper with the you know it's like that's that's it. It's with the arms. Yes, absolutely. You don't get yeah. a, you don't get an effective chopper imitation without the arms. No, no. And you know you've got the attitude that uh, that R two had with the uh, sort of accelerated and maybe enhanced version of his. Uh, <laughs> I, they removed the, uh, the the filter software. Yes, I'm sure. The cantankerousness filter uh, was right. certainly enhanced. <laughs> <laughs> exactly exactly they they you know there's two he's got two of them actually yes <laughs> yes. yes two of them um but yeah so i mean you know to, to uh, maybe to skip ahead or to jump around um you've got lucas kind of explaining these things to to ralph in a way where ralph can then um do some concept artwork there's one piece in particular that has both of the droids it has crazy looking Han Solo that I need to get my hands on and Starkiller the um, sort of concept for Luke Skywalker and Chewbacca now <laughs> now you know obviously if you don't know this it's it's uh, pretty common knowledge but um George Lucas would would drive around in his car with his Alaskan Malamute um named Indiana as his shotgun <laughs> right so so indiana was his co-pilot and on his drives so as part of the the inspiration for these characters he's like yeah so i've got this this human guy han solo is the pilot and then his like creature co-pilot mm. you know so so he, he, he envisioned something kind of dog-like and um ralph did not do something dog-like um, his early Chewbacca is somewhat frightening. Um, so George was like, that scares me. We need something with more hair. 
um, and less this weird creature. So, uh, you know, eventually they come up with what we know today as Chewie. Right. But again, you've got that unused concept that, you know, people can come through when you're, when you're trying to design these new characters that have that sense of familiarity. And then, um, you know, the Rebels team is like, okay, so we need a larger character to kind mm-hmm. of offset these, these smaller, more slender human characters and humanoid characters. Oh, Early yeah. Chewy. Yeah. So they see early Chewy and they're like, okay, well, we can definitely use that. And they're like, well, he's just, that's not a Wookiee, obviously. It's, it's too different from what we know as a Wookiee. Right. So that's a Lasat. And uh, this one is Zeb. Mm. So Gareth Zeborelios is really heavily influenced by early Chewbacca designs. And, you know, that sort of influence and, you know, recycling of these ideas. Uh, it's not necessarily something you've seen in the films, but it it's got that same sort of feel. So when you see these new characters that look like nothing you've seen on screen before, it's like, yeah, it's still Star Wars. Yes. Yeah. You know, because yeah. it's still it's still a character that, that feels like they live in this world. And, you know, conceptualized by one of the original creators for it. I mean, you've got Lucas who created the storyline and the, the story as a whole. But as a visual part of that story, Ralph McQuarrie bringing that to life. And like you say, you know, the recycling of it, like he's got all these drawings and the hundreds of sketches that never made it to print or to the film um, beyond just the paintings that we all are you know, familiar with. You know, it's funny you talk about that picture of uh, the Lasat and uh, Starkiller and the you know original concept Han. When we had posted the question on Twitter about, do you have a favorite Ralph McQuarrie sketch or slash painting? Uh, one of our respondents was uh, Space Mom Lee, and she's on Twitter at uh, Anime Junkie 71. She had <laughs> talked about her enjoyment of Star Wars, and she sent us a picture of what she has in, in sort of her Star Wars shrine. But she had talked about the books that she has and how she was enthralled with these characters that Ralph McQuarrie gave life to beyond just the story. And for her, it was about seeing all these amazing uh, designs and how it allowed her to appreciate the story more. And she uh, literally, she said, uh, it made her head swim with all these designs. It allowed her to have that excitement for the story and transform a visual medium that may or may not have made it on screen as like this wild adventure that someone could go on beyond just the movies, like you said, Lasat turns into a character that 15, 20, 30 years later and yeah. inspiring um, Dave Filoni. Yeah. And it's, you know, again, it's, it's that uniqueness to these designs. That's, you know, still got that familiarity that you can, you can instantly like, like a lot of the um, architecture that's used. And like we, like we've spoken many times in, in Batu and galaxy's edge is, yeah. Not architecture that you've seen before, but it's got that feel. It's got it's got design elements. It's got components of like Jabba's palace, and then of like the um, you know some of the uh, like inlaid arabesque on Coruscant and things like that 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 you know really draw your attention back into that world, but with new stuff. So then it, you know obviously then. You know, some of those design elements, like the archways that were initially 
you know, intended for like Tatooine outside Mos Eisley and things mm-hmm. like that that never got used then end up on Jakku in The Force yeah. Awakens. That archway that um, we first see it when Rey drops uh, BB-8 off for her speeder by um, Unkar Plot's trader area, that those archways are right there. And I didn't really notice at that point. I thought it was an interesting architectural feature. And then you look back at Macquarie's drawings from 1975. It's like, there's the archway, literally. So JJ and his art department, whether that's Doug Chang or whoever it is, is going back there and looking and uh, not, you know, like you said, recycling, going back to the original art of what inspired Star Wars. Let's bring it forward and pay homage to it, but also give it that lived in feeling that we all know and love. Yeah. And then you see even modifications of that in the uh, the Mandalorian in the Ahsoka episode, the Jedi. When uh, when they go to the town and the town has right. very similar archways to that, um, which, you know, again, is is they're they're changed. They're tweaked from what we see in um, Force Awakens. But it's that same idea. It's that same design style. And if you're talking about, you know, original trilogy slash early um, post original trilogy, then, you know, you're going to have similar design styles mm-hmm. in you know in the universe it yep. makes sense there's one interview that saw when we were researching for this subject i was killian plunkett he was the lead character design in the clone wars and during his interview um he had you know obviously a couple of slides uh were shown and one of those slides was the uh, the ice spiders those those creatures from the um mm-hmm. the mandalorian episode and yeah that was eerie just they didn't fit or technology wise, it couldn't fit within um, the uh, Empire Strikes Back. They just couldn't do it. Yeah, it's really great uh, utilization of these really well done pieces. And uh, I remember when we were at Star Wars Celebration, maybe, and we saw that um, those rows and rows of Stormtrooper and Vader helmets that were all like oh, painted yeah. and decorated. Yeah. Even at the, they had the Plo Koon um, Stormtrooper helmet. And yeah. All that. yeah. They had one that was untouched and it was the Vader helmet, but it was the Macquarie version. Was that at the Rancho Obi-Wan um, display? Yes. Right, yes. right. Yes, yes. Gotcha. Yes. That was and, very and cool. The, and the, the, the Plo Koon helmet was actually done by Dave Filoni, just to throw that out there. <laughs> but, you know, to see that, that realized drawing like in in actual like helmet form uh was really cool and then of course then we see that as the version of vader that's used in the um in the rebels right uh, showdown with ahsoka which i mean what a what a great scene that is we'll talk about that for hours on end right in and of itself right but you know the the whole design of the helmet was because George was talking about how he wanted the villain to be able to, you know, go out in space between ships. Yes. To be able to to to, to withstand the elements of of space. Right. So so then they're, they're like, obviously he's going to have to have a suit. Right. That can support him with life support and all. And then of course you know a helmet that's that's sealed, so that you know he didn't die. Um, <laughs> so ultimately, my favorite piece of uh, Macquarie concept art is the Starkiller Invader piece. Before we get into that discussion, we're going to take a quick break and we are going to 
talk further about that and the inspiration for that painting. This week on Storage Wars Tatooine, a dispute erupts over ownership of a particular unit, but the Huttese auctioneer steps in and tries to settle it. What's going on here? This is my unit! I paid for this up front for three months! And you're here trying to auction it off? I store all of my boiler makers here. Do you know how much it takes to make a particular brand of Jedi mind-bending liquids? This is ridiculous! Tune in tomorrow to Hollow Channel 7 to find out if your rightful owner keeps what rightfully is his. Maybe. All right, and we're back. Thank you very much for that uh, for that spot. Yeah, I uh, I'm I'm glad that we heard that because that reminded me I gotta I gotta shell out some credits for the unit that I've got. Um, they uh, <laughs> they sent me a hollow message that like I'm late on my payments. So <laughs> the last thing you want to do is be on the next episode of Storage Wars Tatooine. <laughs> oh, right. Well, yeah. I mean they're ruthless, and you know, let's let's be honest. I know that laugh. So. <laughs> So, yeah, we don't we don't need to get into that. that. No, no, no. So before the commercial, we were talking about one of probably the most uh, iconic paintings beside the droid painting that we all familiar with is the Starkiller versus Vader um, painting. And the uh, not only the the energy, the uh, the movement, the dynamics of that painting, but also the style is extremely well defined. and inspired almost stroke for stroke uh in rebels yeah uh you know you've got the the lightsabers that are essentially flashlights uh, <laughs> in, in in the, the drawing which yeah that's fine i'm okay with it but um you know with with george's love of of samurai films it's it's pretty obvious that you know they're they're kind of inspired by katanas mm. and so that's the, the the long thin blades there um in that piece and um you know luke has the or star killer has the um the breathing apparatus and the uh, oxygen tank uh you know obviously for this battle that's maybe just before or just after um traversing space yeah i guess yeah um but uh, yeah, just to see how how shadowy Vader looks is is really cool because he was, he wanted to kind of give off the impression that he could come and go with the wind, almost like he he wasn't there and now he is, and mm. and very um, nefarious in in that regard. And so that comes. I mean, he doesn't have the lights on his chest. He doesn't have it like the silver embellishments and all. It's pretty much like black like shiny black and like matte black um yeah. outfit which which really you know conveys that aspect yeah very menacing for sure and you've got that 
play of dark versus lights, good versus evil. And and again, like even when we talked about the the duel between Luke and Vader in Empire Strikes Back, you've got that menacing scale size again. But Starkiller, you know, in this painting, he's got this sort of recoil look to him and he's cowering to a certain yeah, he's degree. half the size. Yeah. And so, like you said, like you got the samurai shape to the helmet and then the very skull like shape to the breathing apparatus, which, like you said, George had intimated to Ralph that it was about, you know, the space battles. OK, well, obviously, he's going to be able to be able you know, get from one ship to another. So you get to breathe in space, just like a star killer is with his like uh, his apparatus. But it was so compelling that George essentially used this painting as a reason for making Vader a masked villain and creating one of the most iconic villains in all of cinematic history with that menacing look just by an interpretation of a story element by Ralph. The most iconic. The I most, would say. yeah. So, yeah, yeah. That's, yeah. That's, that's, but, um, yeah. yeah, I mean, who, who are we kidding? It's semantics. But, <laughs> yeah, so, uh, you know, and, and kind of going with that theme that these are just space swords um, and kind of nothing super special. They're just swords that people have in a long time ago, I guess. Yeah, um, far away. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah, so so that being said, um, you know, initially he had plans that, like, the the soldiers would have them and they would have like a shield and and these space swords hmm. so so there's you know there's imagery of um stormtroopers that have lightsabers as well oh yeah that's cool and that being said it was like it was that was the basic weapon and then once it was deemed a a weapon of the jedi of the the space wizard um guys um <laughs> they uh you know, they were like, well, we, we can't have everybody have them then because not everybody's a space wizard guy. Right. So um, then they were like, well, then we'll give them guns, but they won't have bullets. They'll have laser beams. Laser beams. Right. So still kind of cool. Yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, cooler than regular guns, I would say. Yes. But um, yeah. So so even some of that early design work had had and they were all like white or like yellowish light um, lightsabers. Because they they were they were nothing special right until they were made special by having them exclusive to the force users. That's yeah. yes, that's a rare. Well, for me at least, that's a rare painting to see that one. Yeah, and you know everything from you know now they're relatively defenseless against lightsabers because let's face it, <laughs> their armor is no good against it, and and their their blasters are are nonsense for yeah. you know against a, a lightsaber you just deflect them. You know, these other elements that come into play were like, well, how would we um, defend against those or or counterattack those? And then that's when you have like your vibroblades and right. um, hand weapons that have augmentations to them to be able to withstand um, interactions with a lightsaber. Mm -hmm. So they kind of were able to still implement that idea of hand to hand combat with a Jedi without without the soldiers having right. lightsabers. Yeah. So what is your favorite of Macquarie's concept art? That's a great question. You know, there's so many good ones. Um, I would have to say droids. I think that's the first one that I remember seeing, I guess, influential for what I was expecting to see out of the story itself. Yeah. Uh, yeah okay. That's, that's a good one. I like that one a lot. And one of our followers who 
um, replied on our tweet about the their favorite uh, Macquarie painting. Brandon, A.K. Jar Jar, who can be found at uh, at Jar Jar Fett LV, also chose the droids painting. And, you know, it was really eloquent the way he put it, because when he posted it, um, we went back and forth a little bit. But then he wrote this. He said, yes, I can barely explain it. But this piece has the most ominous, perfect, strange sci-fi energy. You just look at it and have to know more. Such a great way of explaining how a painting brings you into a world and just opens up the possibility for storytelling and brings in a new fan. And it's like, what is this? Uh, this is amazing. And that's uh, I just found it really, really cool, really well said. So thank you very much for that feedback. Um, I like all of them. <laughs> um, well, what's yours? I told you mine. You weren't listening. Well, okay. So, okay. So that's like, that's your only, it's the, it's it's the, the Vader and Star the Vader. Okay. There's so much story that it tells, right. you know, right. And, and the design aspects are, are fantastic. And the walls are very reminiscent of like the Tantive before. And, um, just that sort of, um, that space hallway design that's, that's so prominent throughout the series. And the characters are, are fascinating. I love them. Right. But, um, you know, what my least favorite probably would have been oh. is the design work that, that he did for Star Trek Planet of the Titans. <laughs> that was a Star Trek film that was scrapped in 1977. <laughs> and I'm not sure why, but I have a feeling that it's got something to do with Star Wars coming out that year and this being a Star Trek project. So, um, however, however, in the spirit of, you know, keeping things green and reducing, reusing and recycling, um, some of the designs that he did for that project were used 40 years later in 2017 for Star Trek Discovery. Oh, wow. And, yeah. Yeah. Well, Star Trek Discovery is a good series, actually. Yeah. Okay. One of the Star so, Wives. Um, well, half of the Star Wives like it, so uh, there's some relevance there. Well, you know, fifty percent still an F. So, um, <laughs> I, uh, you know, I think that it's interesting that um, when the prequels came around, um, you know, Ralph was Ralph was a little up there. And uh, you had mentioned Doug Chang earlier. He got involved with the series. And um, Rick McCollum, actually, um, got a hold of Ralph and said, hey, look, you know, we want to give you a design role um, for the prequels to come on board and kind of help us out. And um, and he declined because he felt uh, a little bit of creative fatigue and and he he felt like he didn't have new material to contribute really so it's it's kind of a way for him to have um not done it just for the sake of doing it but for the preservation of the designs well, that's cool. he didn't he didn't yeah. want to supply anything subpar that's fantastic well i mean fantastic in the sense that he wasn't contributing but right. the integrity of his yeah his art and the I guess the integrity to the entire saga. That's, that's fantastic. Yeah. And I guess, um, you know, that was, uh, that left them without Ralph McQuarrie. So then they reached out to, uh, Ralph Macchio who, 
No, they didn't. They didn't reach out to Ralph Macchio. Um, they, I mean, they may have. I don't know. There's no record of it. Uh, however, you had um, alerted me about a clip of Doug Chang talking yes. about how, you know, he tried to honor what Ralph had done with the originals and, and kind of came to the conclusion that he wasn't going to be at that level but that he didn't want to let down um, Ralph's legacy. Yeah, I remember the first moment when I got the phone call that I actually got the job to head up the art department for episode one. And it completely stunned me and I was shocked because I knew I would have to attempt to fill Ralph's shoes. And it was horrifying. Horrifying in the sense that I knew it couldn't be done, that, you know, that there was no way that I could do that. And so I went in with the approach that maybe I'll not disappoint the fans. I'll just, you know, be able to do enough. But what drove me really was the idea that I didn't want to disappoint Ralph. I didn't want to let down his legacy because he had created such an amazing body of work that inspired generations, you know, myself included, that I really strove to just maintain that because I felt it was very important. I mean, I was not trying to fill his shoes, I was really trying to just, you know, keep it up and just do my part and contribute to the world of Star Wars. Wow, such integrity and handling of the franchise with such delicate hands, but also understanding uh, that torch that gets passed on art-wise and uh, really defining that world is, uh, it's really quite, uh, it's quite touching to see that, that not, not professionalism, but um, respect, respect for the legacy. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> what you said. <laughs> I, I, uh huh, uh huh. I don't, I don't know that you know this, but you know, Macquarie came back to do concept art for Empire Strikes Back. There is actually a character, um, General Farrell Macquarie, in Hoth, and it's portrayed by him. What? What scene is that in? That's crazy. In 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 Hawk. That is fantastic. Um, yeah, so he got he got a little uh, little character, and then of course, um, you know, in the '90s when Star Wars toys were all over the place, they did have a General Macquarie action figure. That's so cool! Like Power of the Force, like gen yeah. generation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's so cool! Wow, <laughs> that's awesome! I had no idea about that. <laughs> yeah, so I found that to be pretty. Oh, that's great. Well, let's let's take a quick listen to what George Lucas, his favorite painting oh, yeah. was. Yeah, right. Um, well, there's the, the classic of uh, Luke and Vader fighting in the hallway, and there's the classic of Luke standing on the mesa with his rifle looking out over the desert. Those are the two that I remember the most. Uh, it's just romantic and has the feel of the movie. That's that's that. Yeah. <laughs> So we've got George's favorites, but, uh, you know, yeah. for the creator himself to um, sort of pluck out two paintings that represent what some of his favorites. And you can see those, especially on the Mesa, where they're overlooking the uh, hive of scum and villainy on yes. Tatooine is like almost literally lifted right from the canvas onto film. And it's quite the homage to for Ralph McQuarrie. And then, you know, of course, the last Star Wars project that George worked on was... The Clone Wars with Dave Filoni, and he taught him several, several things. But um, Dave kind of took over a lot of those creative efforts with George gone. And then he's got some uh, 
some things that he really uh, took away from from that artwork as well. For sure. Oh, I I'll just remember Ralph in in you know the visuals he gave us. I I always think in the back of a book when you see a picture of him kind of sitting there with his his art table, but he's just so alive every day in the work that we're doing, and that's another thing is like you bring those designs to life. The artist is as alive as ever, and he'll be alive now for generations of kids to come. You know, I think it's important for everybody that's working now to acknowledge Ralph and, and respect him, because that means, you know, 20 years from now, there's gonna be some kid that picks up a, you know, whatever Clone Wars book, and if it says in the caption, which it should, inspired by Ralph McQuarrie design, they'll go back and look at Ralph's work, and they'll continue back and see where it all comes from, which was a really important thing for all of us. And that's, I mean, more, we just always wanted to do that for Ralph. When we got on this show, we all had in common that um, we just love his work. And if we can find any way to acknowledge his work and respect that work through our work, then we're doing Star Wars right and we're doing a good service to him. So, you know, he's, He's one with the Force, you know, literally. I mean, I don't know if there's anybody more one with the Force than Ralph. In a lot of ways, he designed the Force. What is that? Is that intangible? I don't know. But Ralph does. He would. He could design it. Man, that's so awesome. That Yeah. So this video that we plucked some of these clips is from the um, Star Wars concept tribute to Master. Well, this was 2014, two years after he died. All these people associated with Star Wars, including George Lucas and Dave Filoni, like we mm -hmm. heard from, and Doug Chang, who were paying tribute to Ralph and his influence on Star Wars. And, of course, with Dave, who at the time was sort of, I guess, coming out of the Clone Wars series and maybe projecting mm -hmm. to the Rebels series, but certainly nowhere near where he is today as we know it. You've got this person who's passionate and understands the legacy and the history of Star Wars to better the franchise for all these different fans. And even with the tweet that we put out a couple of days ago about what's your favorite Ralph McQuarrie painting resonated with a massive amount of people. And you can tell that there's that thirst for the concepts that Ralph did and just how influential and how that helped define an entire generation's worth of franchise love. Again, like Dave was saying, it's all a part of history now. So anything you see that kind of draws inspiration from that can be traced back to that. And that's a, that's an indelible mark on not only the franchise, but art and, and film art, uh, you know, as a whole. The inspiration that is, is drawn now from, from his works throughout not only Star Wars, but other projects, you know, sci-fi and otherwise, uh, there are certainly components to his art that have influenced several other franchises, either, you know, very overtly or, or passively. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that leads to um, quite a significant body of work and inspiration. Yeah. And beyond uh, Dave Filoni and John Favreau helming these stories, you've got new art directors working on these subsets of shows and creatives that are also drawing from Ralph's original paintings to further the uh, the story and the universe that he helped create 45 years ago. I have the uh, the art of Star Wars Rebels book that my wife got me, Ooh, and nice it's book. it's yeah. 
it's got such an awesome display when you open the top the sabers on the front light up and it makes the noise so cool and the whole bit i love it so much but um you know one of my favorite things is a piece of concept art from that series that was drawn by dave bloody and it's the um ahsoka and vader fight from rebels and um and so that's that's really been a really cool piece for me to have and then in the book it's got all of the inspiration for the art throughout the series from characters to um scenery landscapes uh, ships and things like that and it's a tremendous amount of influence from from the quarry's work throughout um throughout the series and and you know i would i would argue throughout the clone wars as well and i mean it's it's pretty easy to tell at this point that with the current creators it you know the 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 visual side plus the story side of the star wars universe is well in hand given the the respect and the um the attention to detail from the past uh to help define the future is you know is nothing but great yeah and i feel like you know there's there's several people that i've interacted with online um in regards to some of the artwork especially from rebels that um you know they don't really like it when you mention that that it's it's a lot of the early concept stuff and then there's those people go back and actually do a shred of research for once and then um and then they come back and they're like oh you know that's cool and i'm like i know that's why i said it um so so it's one of those things where you know again like yourself people that are uh, you know that can recognize the error of their ways yeah and and come around to acknowledging and appreciating these design elements that you know maybe were done 40 years or 35 years before that program was even even existence yeah and so you've got the deep lore of the story and the ability to to delve much deeper into the characters so you've got that flexibility and then you layer in the homage and the respect and the call outs to the original conceptual drawings i mean what else would you want you know it's 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 a perfect recipe yeah, and I think I think that's why um, not only have they been so well received once people get past the whole animation aspect, because it, it's so compelling. Yeah. Um, you know the the stories and the and the the visual callbacks and Easter eggs and all are really all very um, very very neat to see. Mm-hmm. And when you have that that knowledge in the back of your head when you see these things, it's like ah, oh, that's you know that's something that's either you know direct carbon copy or it's spawned from this and has become a cool new addition to what's on screen. Yeah. And it just builds new fans as they come in, you know, or um, hopefully entice the older fans like myself to, um, to explore more stories. Yeah. So go out and explore kids. There you go. It's worth it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So um, we've got the, uh, the places where you can find us. Well, we can put it on our website. We can. Yes, we can. Uh, at conversations.com or our Facebook. We'll probably put it on our Facebook. That makes sense. Yeah. Or, or facebook.com slash conversations. Yes. But before it gets there, it's probably going to hit our Twitter at Suations. Yes, which we can put you photos there. Throw too, a yeah. couple of those up. Yeah, 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 yeah. Some of the paintings. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
and uh, so people can get you know people that maybe haven't seen it can can get an right. idea of what we're talking about here. Yeah. And um, you know, of course, we um, we've got several friends that we uh, chat with a lot of times in the Red Five Network. Yes. And um, that's that's about it for our uh, our social contacts. Mm -hmm. We've got so uh, our T Public, our newly um, our we newly do. condensed uh, stores are now into T Public, and uh -huh. you can get all of our our new stuff uh, there, including uh, Murder Bears and uh, <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, we can't say enough about the Red Five Network. Uh, the great shows there, the support that we get and just the great friendships that we've made through there. Um, if there's anything that you guys are looking for, whether it's star Wars or nerd or anything within that realm, um, red five has got you covered on that for sure. Yeah. And rebel base card, their hundredth episode just had a whole bunch of artists talking about Ralph McQuarrie. It was pretty cool. Ralph McQuarrie. That's a name I've not heard in a long time, <laughs> a long time. Yeah. So, um, I I like this. Um, I've 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 always loved his artwork, and I like talking about it here. That was nice. It was very cool. Uh, yeah, yeah. So I'm glad you thought about it. Um, so <laughs> I guess. Um, well, 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 well. You you, you see, there's uh, there's a, there's only one way to uh, to to effectively end this this podcast here with um, Mr. Miyagi. With all this this stuff. Well, no, 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 no. He's um. He's a fictional character, uh, fictitious uh, for sure. Um, uh, what, what, what's what's uh, what's what's not fictitious is um, is the force, and I think we can all agree that the force is a uh, is an energy field that binds us and uh, you know, draws the galaxy together, and um, it's uh, part of chaos theory, of course, and uh, it's 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 a wonderful wonderful thing. It's very beautiful, and I uh, I appreciate it in my life. Imagine Jeff Goldblum in the Star Wars universe. Greetings, listener. Just a reminder that the podcast you just heard is a proud member of the Red 5 Network family. Red5Network.com offers you a great variety of shows you'll be sure to love. So the next time you're itching for quality content, make sure you head over to red5network.com. You'll find this podcast along with a whole lot more. All wings report in. It's the Red 5 Network. <laughs>